0: Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take According to the number of persons, according um, according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be shall be um, without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month, of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill the lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat it, eat the flesh that night and roast it on the fire uh, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its heads and its legs and its inner parts. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning shall uh, you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with uh, your belt fastened your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. So make us hungry for this heavenly food, that it may nourish us today in ways of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Amen. Uh, We are on our last part of God is God, this uh, mini-series of the series of Exodus, going through the ten plagues, and this today is our final plague. And uh, we all know this kind of familiar theme of what the Passover is, and we want to go over not just the familiar parts, but perhaps some of the details that are written out here in God's Word. And like I said, to understand this, we must understand the entirety of what is going on. God doesn't just all of a sudden come and have this event, but there's this buildup. And just as there's a part one and a part two and a part three and all these mini parts that come together and then you have Infinity War, uh, we also see that God has been doing this thousands of years ago where we see that there are many parts that are coming together now. So for us to understand Infinity War fully and enjoy it, to really appreciate it, the writers want you to watch the movies before. And when you see it before, then you're like, oh, okay, I get this is why this happens. But to understand Passover 2, to understand what God is doing, we have to also recognize that all this stuff before isn't just filler. It's not just a nice little intro, but they're incredibly important. And I hope that we as a church, we've been paying attention because there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that we may not have even realized, like, oh my goodness, this was in the Bible? And this is what we believe as Christians. And so even last week, we had people uh, read um, last week's catechism. And then we were introduced to terms like elect. Terms like elect and um, what that has to do with predestination or anything of that matter or anything of the sort. And these are things that we want to teach our church. What does the Bible say? And what do we believe as a church? So, hopefully, we'll get to deeper um, studies of knowledge, but that'll also affect us and um, renew us and just fire up our worship for God. Um, my, my grandma loves singing and when she was in this world she would love singing a particular song and it was surprising to me that during her funeral uh, we had her she passed away a few weeks ago Uh, they had um, a recording of her singing this one song that she likes singing and i you know i think it kind of runs in the family when there's a song that i like i just like singing it over and over again i remember when i first went um to Les Mis, and I saw the, the, the production, I saw the Broadway show, and then the priest comes on and he goes, Lord, don't I hear my prayer, right? And then I was like, that's so good, and then I would just sing it, and I love the falsetto, and then he goes from the falsetto to the strong voice, but he's praying for this young man, and this is before I became a pastor, but I love this pastor song, and um, because I like it, I just sing it randomly too, I'm sure you guys do the same. And sometimes I scream it in the car, and then my wife says, Please stop. Um, but it's because I really enjoy it. But my grandma really enjoyed this one particular song. And then it, it was a Korean song about why God loves us. And this will go into just the themes that I have for you today that we see in these passages. But. Hopefully, instead of me just going one uh, sequentially or linearly, we can see that all these uh, themes are kind of woven into each other, uh, that the blood was necessary, and the blood is precious, and finally the blood directs us to something. The blood is necessary, the blood is precious, and the blood directs us. And um, she would sing the song, Why Does God Love Me? And um, But it was more of this meditative song about not like why does god love me i don't know it's more like wow how could it be it's a song sung in wonder that god loves me and i have no idea why but i know that god loves me why did he go to calvary for me but it's singing about these truths that we've been given in the bible and just wondering and standing in awe of that and that's such a Humble song to sing and it's a really uh, beautiful song and I remember um, At the funeral when The video came up there was a little slideshow and they put her my grandma singing in the background like all just tears started coming And I I didn't I didn't know that I would cry Uh, but my eyes were just open and just started dripping like that they were happy before and I realized, like, wow, my grandma really helped me to be who I am. She's the, she's the first one that taught me how to pray, and I still remember the prayer that she taught me in Korean. And every time I would eat food, I would pray this prayer, and it had nothing to do with the food. It wasn't like, Lord, thank you for this meal and help. Me. But it was about helping me to be great and strong, and uh, realizing that God would use me for his kingdom and his glory. And he, she taught me this. So the first prayer I learned after, if you were born in a Korean Christian household, or even if you're nominal Christian, there's this song that all babies sing, and it's about every day God giving us some food, and then you sing that. And then, so the first prayer that I uh, learned was from my grandma after that song. Um, I'm sure some of us are already familiar with what I'm talking about. But, uh, and then we, we see that number one, in the scriptures, what do the scriptures show us and tell us? It tells us that God loves us, that God chose us. And sometimes that is confusing. You're not sure exactly what that means. And I really like that heart. So, God choosing us and loving us sh- should be a point of yes confidence that comes with to us but it should also be like given to us and we should respond in wonder it's like wow how can this be why is it that you chose me and it's not like god chose the world and everyone's elect otherwise that word would have no meaning at all and then we see that all the things that god is making in this Uh, world through the scripture when he ordains marriage you know how foolish it would be some of us are engaged and we're preparing for our marriages you know how foolish it would be if I went you know what I'm I want to love everybody equally so I will treat you my spouse like like I treat everybody else or I will treat everybody else like I treat you Uh, you would not Go to the length of the engagement. If you responded in this manner, there is a special, special connection with the one that we are to have covenant with. And the one that I have covenant with, I am saying, I love you, which means that there is something that is so special beyond the other things that are around us that I'm going to keep. And we see that God is showing us that. To His people, He is making a covenant. More than what we can do, and this is where we see what real love is, more than what we can see, we actually see the necessity in realizing that it isn't about what we did to merit it. What we did to merit this love. What did we do to merit God's love? What can we possibly say that we did to merit God's love? In fact, nothing We could have done, could have merited God's love, and yet God loves us. And here it is. When we are chosen by God, he commands us to do certain things. Here, it says here that what you are to do is because I'm going to save you, I'm going to do this great work, I want you to take a lamb at the 10th of this month. And when you take the lamb at the 10th of this month, you're supposed to get this special lamb. It's a blameless or spotless or just has no blemishes, blemish-free lamb that's a year old. All these things have significance and meaning. And if we're going to tie in every single sign and every single symbol to um, Jesus, it would, it would be just amazing. It would take too long, but it would be amazing. Uh, but if you just think about it. A year old is when most animals reach their full size, so even a dog is from nine, well, no matter what dog you have, it's from nine months to fifteen months it reaches full size. So lamb would reach full size. So it's not just like this undeveloped little thing; it's a full size, unblemished, spotless lamb. And what that means is. We need to find now disobedience. We need to say, oh, if we're going to get saved, we need to do it. But the fallacy would be in us thinking, because I'm doing this work, I deserve it. I deserve it. No one thought that, but this is what some people think. But what we need to also realize is that faith leads to obedience, and obedience comes from faith. You can't have true faith without obedience, and there is no true obedience without faith. These two are tied together. And the fact that in our culture we want to separate that is a very dangerous thing that we're coming upon. So when we come on to things like the doctrine of election and things, it's very difficult to understand because we're like, I've been saved by faith. That means I could just sit on my butt and do nothing. Or if God truly is sovereign, like we talked about, God truly has control over everything, then who cares what I do? So these are two extremes that we get to, and these two extremes are evil, and they are foolish. So the one extreme is, and I mentioned it just before, God is sovereign. He can harden hearts. He can soften hearts. You cannot get away from his sovereignty but d.a carson writes about how god's sovereignty does not exempt man from his responsibility god's sovereignty doesn't mean we are alleviated from our responsibility to think that will go against scripture and mind you scripture just says this blatantly without any apology that god is sovereign and that we are also responsible for our own lives God is sovereign, and we have responsibility. Responsibility to what? To obey the commandments of God. And so if we think that, oh, God is sovereign, so I don't, it doesn't matter what I do, we become fatalistic in our thinking. Fatalistic meaning nothing I do really matters. But that is false. And we know that this lifestyle is also false. To think fatalistically and live out fatalistically it's just living out a lie. No one can truly live like that. And I mentioned some um, examples in the past. If you really think God is in utter control, then walk across um, what's a, uh, walk across Route Four. Like, no cross, just walk right across it without thinking. Just be like, you know what? God is in control. I'm just going to. It doesn't happen that way. No one does that. And so because we know that we can't actually live out that kind of feeling. And some religions actually teach that, that God is ultimately in absolute control. So even the things that you're thinking. "Mm." So when we think in that extreme, we see that it goes to fatal. And then here's the other side. The other side is the choice is mine. I am free. I'm free to do whatever I want. And if I continue to think in this manner, if I think I'm free to do whatever I want, then what that takes away from is God's sovereignty, God's control. And we're saying, what I do, I can bend God's will to me then. If you think that, if you think everything is about your choice, it's free will, and people use terms like this, if you think of that and you take it to that extreme Then you see that what you were thinking, now you're going to bend God to your will. That's absolutely not the case in the Bible as well. So what does the Bible teach? The Bible unapologetically teaches these two things. God is sovereign and that we have a responsibility. We are to have ultimate trust and faith in God, and that leads to obedience. And we see here that people are to do something. Not to earn or merit their salvation, but to do something because of their faith, saying God told us to do it, so we should do it. Take this lamb. And what they would do is they would take um, hyssop, and they were to dip the blood and put it on the doorposts and the cross post of the door. So the sides and the top. And if they did it, um, God would say, I will pass over the angel of death will pass over. D.A. Carson um, shares this little illustration about this, and I wanted to share that with you. He said two men, and I think they're, uh, these two Jewish men, and he believes their, their names are like Smith and Robertson or something like that, very Jewish in their names, but uh, he would give this example. So let's say Smith is someone that says goes to Robertson and says, oh, um. Did you hear about what we have to do? Like we have to point this, uh, put this blood, and all that. And like, yeah. It's like, yeah. Did you do it? It's like, yeah. And then Smith would be, oh, but what if? What if God doesn't? Like, what if God doesn't pass over, and our kids die? And Robertson could be like, yeah, but God said that it wouldn't happen, so I don't think it's gonna happen. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's not going to happen. Robertson goes, and then Smith is, well, you never know, right? Because maybe, you know, maybe God will change his mind. You know, Maybe something might happen. And Robertson will ask, well, did you put the blood on the doorpost and the crosspost? And he would say, yeah, I did. It's like, well, I don't think, well, it's not going to happen then. That's what we were told to do. And the question that's asked is from Smith and Robertson, Whose kid dies? Who does God not pass over? And the answer is, no one's kid dies. God passes over both Smith's family and Robertson's family. Why? Because the blood was on the posts. The blood was on the cross post. So because the blood was there, it passes over. And so it is not the quality of our faith that's important. It's the quality of the object of our faith that's important. God is saying, trust me and do this. And even if we waver from time to time, when we obey and do it, we are saying we have this faith, even though it's not big, God. It's not big. And sometimes I wonder too. But you know what? In my wondering, in my just I'm not sure kind of lifestyle, life stage, I'm just gonna do it. And when that happens, we see that God is the one that we are to know that's the heavy object that holds to his promises. So the object of the faith is absolutely important and integral than rather the faith itself. So what does all this um, mean? What's the object of our faith? And so we need to go into that. Once again, I want to remind you that it isn't the intensity of your faith that saves you. That doesn't merit it. In fact, some people are like, oh, maybe predestination and election, it means that because God knew that you would choose him, so he, he's all about time, so God knew that you were chosen, so that's why you are saved. And that's also wrong, because that's also based on merit. Nothing you could have done could have saved you, nothing. And just by thinking that your faith would merit salvation is just utter nonsense. Salvation comes by this work that we cannot do. Someone needs to live that blemish-free, perfect life. That's how you get saved. And so what is this lamb? So this lamb could not have been some lamb you just pick up off the street. In fact, this lamb, if you think about it, if it lived today, would be so beautiful, would be so rare, would be so perfect that look at the time. The time would be the 10th day of the month you bring this blemish-free one-year-old male lamb or goat in. And when you bring it in, it's just so beautiful, It's so rare. It's like a diamond. It's very precious, right? And so what would we do? We would probably take Instagram pictures of this beautiful creature. We would put it up on social media. We would say, look at it, only to know that in the 14th day you have to slaughter it and you have to kill it and put its blood on your doorposts. But for four or five days, I guess it would be total, you would... Be with this lamb, because on the 14th day, you're supposed to do it. So what does that mean? For five days, you're inspecting it. And we see that that actually does happen with Christ, too. He goes to Jerusalem, and for a week, he stays there before he gets crucified. But this lamb, you inspect, and then you have to make sure that it's truly blemish free and because it's so rare the bible teaches us that man if you can't afford or this one lamb is too big for your family that's the way they put it then you're supposed to share with other people that's how precious it is but see this is what we need to recognize that even if our faith is supposed to lead us to that obedience that obedience will be costly you know, we continue to say, you know what, oh, following Jesus is easy, it's free, and all this stuff mm, doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that following Jesus is free or easy. It says the gospel is free, the good news is freely preached to you. I didn't ask for you for your money for preaching the gospel. And so gospel is freely preached to you, but living it out, following Jesus Christ is costly. How costly is it? it's going to cost you everything you own. Everything that you own. Jesus gives this parable about this merchant who loves pearls. So he was just looking for the most beautiful pearl and he found it. He found the most beautiful pearl in the world. And we know what he did after he found the most beautiful pearl in the world? He sold everything that he had, every other pearl that he collected, everything in his possessions to obtain this pearl. Why did he do that? He knew that this pearl was worth more than everything he owned. So even if he had to sell everything that he had to obtain this pearl, it's so much more worth it than you would even imagine. Paul also talks about this this way, the gospel. I consider myself Just everything that I know, all these other things, I consider it scubalone, rubbish, garbage compared to knowing Christ. He says in Philippians chapter 3, everything that I know, own, all this knowledge that I have, all this wealth that I have, all the things that I've obtained, it's garbage. So if I need to sell it, if I need to give it away, if I need to put it up so that I can obtain it, it is so worth it. But is it costly yes to you it is costly and jesus himself says it you you have to hate your mother you have to hate your father that's how much you he doesn't literally mean go and spit in your mom's face right now absolutely not he's teaching us that these things are considered compared to knowing christ compared to the treasure that is before you compared to the kingdom of god these things are rubbish garbage compared so easily you would do it but just to know that it is costly is a warning that christ gives his would-be followers too many times we don't think this and we don't realize this and i wonder what kind of discipleship have you been brought to because it's not the discipleship that Jesus teaches here in the Bible. It's not the discipleship Paul is teaching us. And it's definitely not the kind of obedience that the Passover alone teaches us. So when we have to do something, how do we consider it? How are we to consider it? And so he continues to teach his people. And he goes, you know what? When you eat it, you're supposed to have your staff in your hand. You're supposed to put up your cloak and tie it in a belt. And you've got to be ready to go. Ready to go and eat it. Unleavened bread, because leaven to get it to rise takes too long. So, this is like ready to go food, and you got to eat it. Anything that's not eaten, you just burn, burn the rest. And the word here used is haste, but when you continue to do a word search and read what haste means, this is done because it doesn't mean eat it quickly, like, oh, it might go at any minute, which does have that kind of sense. But it's more like fear and trepidation. Fear and trepidation. When you take it, because they didn't, they didn't actually go to the very next day. So was God saying like, oh, just eat it and just, who knows, just keep people in suspense. He is telling them the next day he's going he's to let them go. So what's that mean? When you eat it, you eat it in fear and trepidation. You're not just supposed to relax and be like, oh, yeah, I'm saved. Oh, this is, this is nice. This is very comfortable. It's actually the opposite of that, staff in hand, your cloak tied around your belt, ready to go, fear and trepidation. You know why? Because when people did that, it gave a sign of something big is about to happen. Something big is about to happen. When something big is about to happen, we are to be ready. We're to ready ourselves because something mighty, awesome, wondrous awe-inspiring is about to happen and in fact in um, in our worship we are supposed to have this element this element of also fear and trepidation says that in the bible if not just here says it even in psalm if you're just reading through the psalm just psalm chapter 2 verse 11 To serve the Lord with fear, right? And to, excuse me. And so we are to do this with this understanding, not to take it lightly. But even Paul talks about um, working out our salvation in fear and trembling. This element needs to be in our lives because we are to recognize who's doing this. You know why? That there is this fear and trepidation? You know why people had to do the doorpost, the the blood? It isn't because God wasn't like, well, if you don't have the blood, I'm not sure if I should go in or not. So just to make sure, put a sign out. It's not like God was going on a blind date with you. So if you're on the blind date, uh, make sure you put this little flower here so then I'll know you're my date. If not, then I don't know who my blind date is. God knows. God knows who his people are. Why did we have to actually physically do that? It's because God knows who his people are, but people knew that they were sinners. People knew that when judgment comes or when judgment came, you would not have survived that God would not have passed over you because you are not sin-free. And because of this people would put this blood to know that there is this oh my goodness I am guilty. And if God is giving me a way out, I should take it. I should take it. I must take it. And this is one prayer that I believe that we should be praying, which is a Jairus prayer. I love that prayer because that prayer shows me that at any time, my heart could get hardened. At any time, I would come here, sit. You know what? It's a little warm in here. It's a nice little cool breeze. I didn't sleep too much. I could take a quick nap. You know what? Let me just relax. When I sing, you know what? If this song is too high, eh, mm, just just let it pass by. See, this element, this heart shows us where your heart is. Who is guilt-free of that? No one. No one is. People come and it's like, please serve me. I'm the main part of this worship service. You're supposed to entertain me. You're supposed to serve me. You're supposed to have ministries that benefit and bless me. This man-centered thinking, this human-centered thinking is all around us. We're constantly thinking. That's why when we think of things like election, it doesn't make any sense because I am thinking it from my perspective. From me, I think it might be unfair with my limited knowledge. The Bible teaches us that the the ways and the thoughts of the Lord are higher than our ways and our thoughts. So when we think that, man, if someone is smarter, better, stronger, knows more, has done more, can do more, then it should be putting us at the edge of our seats, being like, what does God have in store? I better be listening, which is exactly what he tells The people, it says, for the first time in verse 3, it says, tell all the congregation, that's the first time this word is used, tell all the congregation of Israel. So that's the physical gathering. It means the physical gathering of his people, and he gives instruction there. This is why we also physically continue to gather, knowing that this is what God calls us to do. And now this word has been translated to Ecclesia in Greek, which means the church. So the church is the congregation. That's why we call ourselves the congregation. And so when we have this and when we know this, we see that God is about to do something big. And this is why we answer in obedience. Um, I don't think that I am guilt free either. I think that there is this tendency, even in my heart, for it to get hardened. So that's why I'm saying this Jairus prayer is so important. And he goes, Jesus goes, You know, if you have faith, then it will happen. And so Jairus cries out, Then Lord, help my unbelief. Help me to believe this should be the genuine cry of those that are in the presence of the Lord, knowing that a hardened heart will send you right to hell and away from his presence. And we see that because of this, we read it today in today's catechism, there is this grace period, there is this grace period showing us God's long patience and his waiting But we're not to take advantage of that and say, God, you bend to my will. We're supposed to understand this is his will that we are to bend to. That's why when we say worship, what do we say? We say worship service. And this is something that we went over in chapter 5, but we'll go over it again. But God calls his people to worship him, and that word was to serve him. And remember, in the Old Testament, service and slavery were interchangeable, like do loss in Greek is also interchangeable. We have kind of shifted that language culturally, so it's hard for us to understand, perhaps. Like service and slavery, mm, they're completely different, but in the Bible, they're not. And if you think about the real root of the meaning of these words, they're really not. And so because you serve someone, it does mean that you are technically a slave to them. You are serving them. They're the exact same thing. So when we call it a worship service, it's saying God is going to take us out of this bondage, this slavery, into freedom to another kind of slavery and bondage. But this slavery and bondage isn't to a bad or ruthless or evil king or to sin it's to a good god so we were made to serve we were made to give service that's who we are and this is this is my testimony when i was without a job i think um there was a period about six months during my time i was working that i didn't have a job and that was probably the most brutal time i had to go through It was rough not to have a job, going through the resume, sure, but not working because I needed to work. I just needed to do something. And that's what I believe we were made to do. Even, what do we do? Even when we have a passion, don't we use words like, I need to serve my passions? I need to work for my passions. I need to live out my life. These things, we need to get that mentality out like service is bad and low. And Jesus totally flips it around. The greatest among you will be his servant. And so we need to understand that when we are called out of slavery, it's from slavery to a bad thing to serve a good God. And this is why we call it a worship service. This is service to the king. So if you realize this and recognize this, do you recognize this? Do you see this in the Bible? If you recognize this, then how is your attitude right now? From the very beginning, when we have the Sursum corda, and every day, every, every Sunday, the presider will come up and will say, lift up your hearts to the Lord. That means we are being lifted into the Lord's presence in this faith. What is your attitude? What is your faith like? And I'm saying, if you're like me, then you will pray that Jairus prayer. God, give me faith. Increase my faith so that I can truly see what's going on. You know, this this judgment and condemnation that the world would give, this comparison, all these things, it's not here. It's not here at all. I don't think so, at least. But it shouldn't be here. But you know what is? There's still a heaviness that's still here. Because we know that God is the judge. And he is the righteous judge. So when he judges, it's actually correct. That means he has every right to do so. So when we do that, then we would have a different attitude. I'm going to go back to this again and again. If we truly see that the blood was necessary, and we truly see that the blood is precious, as the scriptures are teaching us, then what is your attitude? It should be that. Staff in hand, take the cloak, tie the belt around it, because this is to be done in fear, awe, and wonder. And this is what the Lord is teaching his people, and this is what the Lord teaches us. And so afterwards, we see that all these things um, are happening. And after they do it, he the Lord says it too, and you can imagine when judgment comes uh, in the middle of the night, um, you hear one one cry in twilight because everything's silent, and everything's dark because they discovered what's going on, and then you hear another cry. And the Bible teaches us there has never been a wailing like this than this day. God's judgment isn't something to be scoffed at. It's to be recognized that this is scary stuff. And when we work out our salvation, I believe that's the kind of heart we should work it out in. So we take times like this when the congregation gathers very seriously. And so should you. So should you. Take it very seriously because God has invited you. And he said, you are the congregation. And this is how you are to worship. This is how you are to obey me. And when you do obey, we see that God's love is shown and poured out over us. His goodness is revealed to us. But if we don't do it that way, then you know what it is? We're basically molding God into a figure that we want to. We're basically doing things that we just want to make things this way. Cause, But you know what? It starts to fall on each other. Like, um, like playing cards, you make a tower. One piece falls and everything just collapses. And we add words to things that we shouldn't add. Like we do these things. And I was talking with a sister here about If we said God is too good, what does that mean? God is too good. God is just good. We start adding words that, and then to perhaps we, uh, you know, to have a hyperbole in there to, to maybe think it's more special, but it isn't. To know that God is good is also to know that God is just, right? And we add words to even justice. Justice alone is a word and it is a good and God is justice right but when we add words like social justice that takes away from the word because it's just about justice why should I help the poor not social justice why should I help the poor because it is justice God is just and he is saying it's unjust to have the poor among you and you don't help them it's just justice And is God good? Is he too good? Is he some kind of good? He's just good. God is the definition of good. God is love. God is the definition of love. His character is being shown through the scriptures, and that's why we're on the edge of our seats, because that kind of attitude is showing that, you know what? It's true. I don't know. I've been going to church all my life. But if I haven't been studying the scriptures, I don't know who God is. And that's what we have to admit. If we haven't been studying the scriptures, you could go to church for 2,000 years perhaps. You wouldn't know anything. You're going to church to study scripture. So when we're here studying the scripture together, what is your attitude? It should be, show me what goodness is. Show me what love is. Show me what justice is, because that's who you are. That's your nature, and in his nature, he shows us through the scripture of who he is. When after this happens, uh, closes our first portion of Exodus, um, and this is a climax that it reaches. But you have to see that people should have recognized that the blood wasn't uh, the blood of this lamb as blemished as blemish-free as it was, isn't perfect, couldn't be, never could be, but it directs us to something. As we continue to worship in this manner, you see that when we obey and when we follow what God is teaching us, it directs us in a manner, in a way that draws us to Him. So He's going to draw people out of Egypt, draw them to him so that we can serve him and worship him and we see that when we obey and when we follow we are being drawn out of what we were before and drawn into the knowledge of who he is who is God what is love what is justice what does it mean that God is good and only God is good not this apple pie you know we can say apple pie is so good you know that kind of thing but in the essence of what good is we see that only god is good and so all these things direct us and when we see these things it directs us to a person and that person is jesus christ all of god's people from this age all the way to now recognize that this passover is pointing And directing to something. But we recognize that through the scripture it's pointing to someone. And even David, the King David, realizes the Lord said to my Lord, there is God that comes to us as a person that is blemish free, that is so precious beyond words that the world, even if you had the whole world and you sold it, you could not afford the precious blood of this lamb. And we've been given this blood. And people, we need to understand that when we when he goes, you need to take up your cross and following follow me, we are to do that in joy, saying, oh my goodness, this is a deal of a lifetime. And that's what we see here in the Bible. This points to a person. And even the Bible continues to teach us The Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God that sets us free is Jesus Christ. He comes down to earth and lives a blemish-free, perfect life. He is so rare, so powerful, so beautiful that even when he was tested when he got to Jerusalem and he stayed with God's people, They could find no fault in him. He shut up every scribe, every Pharisee, every teacher of the law when they tried to go against him because he was perfect. But this perfect, blemish-free, rare, incredibly valuable Lamb of God would die for us. And when that blood is sprinkled on us, we see that that is what the Passover points to. The Passover points to God's plan for us in His love, in His justice, in His mercy. He is revealing to us this plan, this plan of redemption. I hope that our eyes can be opened and our hearts can be softened. And that we will see that the reason why we're supposed to be at the edge of our seats isn't because we need to catch Pastor Eugene's latest inside joke. That is not why. But in fact, the truth of the word, the truth of the word that is being revealed in Scripture to the church. The manifold witness, wisdom of God being revealed through the church. And I hope that we see that this leads us to more. This is just chapter 12 of Exodus, the first part. And God didn't make this 40 chapters. He made it 12 He put this there because it leads us into this greater life that we are to expect and we are to look forward to. This is just the beginning, my friends. But a lot of us, we haven't even gone to this beginning portion. And I need to take us back. I need to pull us back and say, this is what we need to recognize. If we don't recognize this, then my challenge to you is, are your hearts still hardened? Do you still not understand what God is doing to, through Jesus Christ for his people? I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict your hearts. And the reason why I, I think this, that, that song literally has been in my head is because that is my heart for you. And no one has their hearts hardened, that every single heart is softened. So that's why he, when he was saying, Lord, I hear my prayer, you know, and then he would pray for this other person. But that's my prayer for you, that you would hear the voice and the call of the Lord through the scripture and say, see, that God has called you to be his church. And that means something pretty significant. It's supposed to be handled in awe and wonder. Fear, trepidation, serve the Lord in fear, rejoice in trembling. That was Psalm chapter 2, verse 11. But all these things go together because ultimately what Jesus promises us is in this you will have the fullness of joy. That's how you get the fullness of joy, when we come into the knowledge and the presence of God. Let's pray. Lord, we believe your word. And we believe what you teach us through the word. And we also recognize that we don't understand everything yet. We are finite. We don't have an IQ of a, an infinity. We do need deeper understanding. We do need a stronger faith. And so, Lord, this is what we do when we cry out to you, Lord, help our unbelief. is so that your spirit would come and change what was hardened and soften it again and change what was dead and make it alive again in Christ. We pray this not only for ourselves, but those that are here with us, those that we love, we pray for them too, our brothers and our sisters. Pray, God, that you would do your miraculous, awe-inspiring, wonderful work here in CGS at this time. Let's take this time to reflect and meditate, but also to pray to the Lord. Pray that God would send you his spirit so that he would convict you and change you and give you the strength to follow him. Let's take this time to pray. Lord we understand that we we understand that we don't know everything and in fact we want to be assured of something this is this is just who we are we want to be assured of something and that we believe and we recognize is your love to do that Lord we need faith increase our faith give us faith so that we may be able to obey you follow you, love you, and serve you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.